0: Welcome to Living Truth Radio, a ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship with Pastor Michael Lands. It's our goal to build up believers and to reach out with God's truth to all people. And now, here's Pastor Michael. If you grab your Bible, open it to 1 Samuel in the Old Testament. 1 Samuel, we're going to be in chapter 18 as we look at a message about God's anointed one. 1 Samuel 18, pretty early on in the Old Testament. And as you have been with us on Wednesday nights, we've been looking at this character called David, King David. Let's pray and then we'll get into it. Father, thank you for those who are here tonight. Thank you for the good time that we had in fellowship and just sharing in food and sharing our faith with one another and just inviting and and, uh, having new friends come and just enjoying the friends that we've made here, that are really our family, brothers and sisters in Christ, and um, it just—it's really a precious thing, Lord. Your body is precious, and uh, there's nothing like it in all the world. And I'm so grateful that you called us each of us into your body, and we want to grow. We want to become more like you, Lord. We want to minister to each other effectively. We want to love each other as you love us. And Lord, we want to be a light in this community. So Father, we just pray that um, you would, toward that end, use this time together in the scriptures to shape us, to nourish us, to encourage us with the scriptures that we might have hope. We know that that hope won't disappoint. So tonight we lay everything at your feet. We've had this wonderful time of music and now we look to your word, speak to us your servants are listening. Uh, Show us what you want us to to know tonight and apply. We give you all the glory and we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. So in 1 Samuel 17, we have this enormous battle that takes place. And uh, David, the unexpected champion of Israel after the taunts of Goliath says, I'll be the man, I'll, I'll go out and take on this giant, and the giant's been taunting Israel for 40 days, and there's been this pact that he's been trying to make that if I win, you're, you're our slaves, and if you win, we'll be your slaves, and everybody's afraid of this giant, and he's nine foot, uh, one of the tallest basketball players that was ever on the planet, and... Um, He's been taunting the armies of Israel and David steps out in faith. He steps out by the power of God and he defeats the giant and he cuts off his head and he is the champion of Israel. And as you've watched King David, the anointed one, the anointed one is the idea of the Christ. When you hear Jesus who's called the Christ, Christ is the anointed one. He is the one that's been anointed to be our Savior, and Jesus in the New Testament is called Son of David because he is the greater David, and David is a type of Christ. He was a great king, but he prefigures the greatest king who will sit on the throne of David, if you will, and there's some debate among scholars, will David literally sit on the throne again, or is that pointing to the greater David Jesus, but Uh, David eventually failed, but the greater king is coming. And little David was from a town called Bethlehem. And he prefigures this Messiah that would come from the line of David. And as you watch uh, David in these early days, you're going to see him take on this giant and cause him to fall. And Jesus Christ took on the giants of sin and death and caused them to fall. They taunt us our whole lives don 't they you know uh, saying, nobody will be able to take me down, nobody can defeat me. Who do you think you are and Jesus comes and he knocks down the giant of sin and death he put on a, he put his life on the line for that, and as first Samuel um, eighteen emerges, David is one of the main characters that will come to the surface, and there's different reactions to David. What's incredible about David is that some of Saul's family members, his own son and daughter, love David deeply. Um, They are just in awe of him. And David's about to marry one of Saul's daughters, which is hard to imagine because if you have in-laws, I know some in-laws can be a challenge But I don't know if you've ever been at a holiday dinner where your in-law throws a spear at you. I mean, I've heard of verbal jabs at the holiday dinner table, but I'm not sure I'd want to marry into that family. But that's David. He's the anointed one, and yet he's not recognized by everybody. Saul is trying to kill David. There's others that love him. The, the nation, in fact, is enamored with David. He's the new champion. They're celebrating him. They're singing songs. The, the hit songs on the radio are about David killing his, you know, tens of thousands and Saul just his thousands. David is a hit, but not to everybody. Some people love him and some people want to get rid of him. And I hope you can see the prophetic picture. David is a type of Christ. He is the one who belongs on the throne, but the religious leaders of the day don't want to acknowledge Jesus as the Christ. So they are bent on destroying him. And Saul becomes a type of the religious leadership of the days of Jesus, the chief priests, the scribes and the Pharisees. In fact, In one of Jesus' parables, it becomes clear that they know who he is and their intention is to destroy him because they don't want him to take their places in the nation. They know who he is. And Saul is a man who is now lost. Uh, The kingdom has been ripped from him prophetically. You remember that with Samuel? And now Saul is trying to hold on for dear life and the spirit of the Lord has departed from him and another has been anointed and uh, this other has stepped forward and done what Saul failed to do. If you look at the end of chapter 17, look at verse 55, it says, now when Saul saw David going out against the Philistines, 1755, he said to Abner, the commander of the army, Abner, whose son is this young man? And Abner said, by your life, O king, I do not know. And the king said, you inquire whose son this, the youth is. So when David returned from killing the Philistine, Abner took him and brought him before Saul with the Philistine's head in his hand. Don't you love the Bible? And Saul said to him, whose son are you, young man? And David answered, I am the son of your servant, Jesse the Bethlehemite. Now there are some scholars that say that What occurred in chapter 16 verses 15 through 23 when David has already arrived in Saul's house and he's already playing skillfully to calm Saul down when that spirit terrorizes him is not in chronological order. Because some of you probably read that and said, well, how does Saul not know who David is? Well, there are some commentators that say it's because the book is not necessarily in chronological order. That's one way to resolve it. There are others who say that maybe Saul is just so uh, freaked out by this spirit and so self-consumed that he really doesn't know David. But the earlier chapter said that he loved David greatly, so that doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. Maybe the, the spirit that um, harasses him has ravaged his mind. And he doesn't know who people are. And and we don't know for sure uh, how to quite resolve that. But those are some options. And so it came about, look at chapter 18, verse 1, when he had finished speaking to Saul that the soul of Jonathan was knit. This uh, speaks of binding together. And it can even have a connotation of binding for political purposes. Chapter uh, 18, verse 1 Jonathan's soul was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as himself. Now what's amazing about this first part of chapter 18 is that Jonathan is the heir to the throne. Saul sees David as a total threat, and he wants to kill him. But Jonathan, the heir, loves him. In fact, he loves him just as he loves himself. And this may shock you, but we're supposed to do this not with just certain people, but with everybody. We're supposed to love our neighbor, how? As ourselves. Now we can make a big deal about Jonathan's love for David and there was a special bond here, but in the end, this is what we're supposed to do for everybody. We're supposed to love everybody as much as we love ourselves, That's the challenge, of course, that we'll have for the rest of our lives. And the two men, young men, were knit together. They became soul brothers. Uh, If you've ever had a good friend in your life who's a Christian, and uh, maybe you met each other on this journey of life, and you found out, you know, oh, you're a Christian too, and your souls were knit together. I like to talk about soul-to-soul time. I enjoy soul-to-soul discussions with brothers in Christ. Getting past just who's your favorite baseball team, and, you know, even though I enjoy that too. And if you have the wrong answer, then I get upset. <laughs> but anyway, that's another story. But, but to have a soul uh, brother or sister in Christ is a great blessing, and that's what happened between Jonathan and David. There was a very strong bond They had some things in common, didn't they? Both men, young men, were courageous warriors. Remember, Jonathan was the one that stepped out with his armor bearer and he was the one that said, hey, let's go and challenge the whole Philistine group that's there and we'll look for a sign and if God gives us a sign, we know that he has given them into our hands and they got the sign and it was Jonathan who said the Lord can deliver by many or by Few And they took down all these soldiers. And David was the one that stepped forward in the wake of this huge giant. What would you do? Nine feet tall, grizzly, terrible-looking champion of the Philistines. Would you take him on and trust in God with no armor, slingshot? That's all you got? That's a step of faith. So these two men shared a common warrior-type faith. Let me just say this to you. If you want to become more courageous in your Christian life, find another Christian warrior who's willing to come alongside you and you have a soul-to-soul bond and you say, you know what, let's charge this hill together. I believe that the Lord can do this. Both men did something radical with the odds stacked against them. In Colossians 2... Uh, Verse 2, Paul writes that their hearts may be encouraged, having been knit together in love and attaining to all the wealth that comes from the full assurance of understanding, resulting in a true knowledge of God's mystery that is Christ himself. In Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. That's Colossians 2, 2 and 3. So there's a beautiful knitting together of hearts that happens in the Christian church But there are special people in your life. I hope you have somebody like that or I hope you can be that for somebody else. Be somebody that can uh, stir up somebody else's faith. Do you have somebody like that? Uh, Are you like that to somebody else? And so Saul took him that day and did not let him, that is David, return to his father's house. And then Jonathan, verse three, chapter 18, made a covenant with David because he loved him. As himself or as his own soul, the heir to the throne becomes close to the true heir to the throne. The one who would be king begins to recognize that there's another one who's going to be king. And he's not going to fight it. His dad's fighting it. He's not going to fight it. And he made a covenant with him. Barit is the Hebrew word for covenant. And it speaks of an alliance. It speaks, the, the actual word uh, berith has the idea of to cut. And so they would literally cut a covenant. They would often cut animal pieces and pass through the animal pieces. And they would say, if I don't keep this covenant, may what was done to this animal be done to me. And they would cut literally a covenant. And Jonathan was the one that apparently had the legal right to cut the covenant. And so he made a covenant with David because he loved him. Uh, One writer says, perhaps I should say a word in passing, which is more than it deserves about the view sometimes expressed that the David-Jonathan relationship may have had a sexual aspect. The absurdity of that suggestion should be clear in this chapter. As one writer put it, quote, in this chapter, everyone apart from Saul, that is, loves David. You can look at verse 16, 20, 22. This particular consideration tends to be overlooked when David and Jonathan's relationship is presented in a less worthy light. To see sex between the lines of David and Jonathan, of the David-Jonathan story, depends on our modern perception, and may I say a twisted one at that. The text themselves themselves gives no hint of any sexual behavior whatsoever. And I have to say it because some of our friends on the other side use the Jonathan-David relationship to say there was a homosexual relationship here. And it just flatly is not true, you guys. They were soul brothers. They were warriors they loved each other in the Lord, and that's as far as it went. And so some people in our culture are so desperate to somehow uh, make valid something that the Bible says is just simply not, that really they dishonor the Lord. I'm just going to say it bluntly. They, that, that is really just pulling this text out of its context and butchering it. And so they made a covenant together, David, because he lo- with David because he loved him as he loved his own soul. You know, the Lord's made a covenant with you. It's called the new covenant. And he made the covenant with you because he loves you. The Bible says, for God so loved the world. But Paul said, he loved me, Galatians 2.20, and he gave himself up for me. See, God cares about individuals, folks. I'm going to park here for a second. Last Wednesday night, I got to share my personal testimony with the youth group while Pastor Mill was here teaching. And I was listening to Ravi Zacharias, and he was saying that one of the beauties of uh, the Christian faith among the many majestic things that we could talk about about Christ is that he cared about individuals. Think about this. He went through Samaria to pursue a woman We call her the woman at the well. He wasn't supposed to talk to her. He wasn't supposed to go through Samaria. She had had five husbands. She was a rejected woman because women in that day did not have the right to divorce their husbands. So we think of her as Elizabeth Taylor or some movie star that married over and over and over again. But she was really a rejected woman. Five husbands had divorced her for whatever reasons. And she was now with a man who was not her husband. And Jesus had to pass through Samaria. Do you remember when he is traveling in Luke 19 and there's a little wee man up in the tree, his name is Zacchaeus, and he's the chief tax collector, and he's a hated guy. He's wealthy but hated, and he's up in the tree trying to get a look, and Jesus stops the procession and says, Zacchaeus, I must come to your house today. And the people were grumbling, how could he go to the house of a man like that? He didn't come to my house for lunch. How could he go to his house for lunch? (laughs) And off they walked together. And salvation came to that household because he too was a son of Abraham. And then Jesus said these famous words, for the son of man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Listen, he's come to seek and to save. He sought out Zacchaeus. Think of the rich young ruler. Uh, he runs up to Jesus. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus gives him the commandments, his response. Well, I've kept all these from my youth. What do I still lack? Jesus says, go and sell everything you have. Give it to the poor. You'll have treasures in heaven and come and follow me. The young man wouldn't. His face fell. He had many possessions and he took off. Jesus did not chase him down I don't know what happened to the rich young ruler. I hope he came to his senses. But the Bible tells us in one of the Gospels that Jesus loved him. He loved him. Jesus cares about you and me. In fact, he cares about you so much, he made a covenant that was cut with his own blood. That's how much he cares about you. He paid the price that animals used to pay in the Hebrew scriptures. Now he paid it. He's the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world, but he takes away your sin and my sin. It's personal, you guys. It amazes me that the planet's filled with, what, seven billion people. I've heard that one billion of them are believers, maybe more. But that God takes the time to care about me. I shared with you Sunday how I was sitting on my computer one night, I needed to hear from the Lord, and a brother emailed me a scripture at that very moment. Does that not just blow your mind, that God cares about us that much? And he has cut a covenant. In the Hebrew picture language, the word means the sign of my son, the word berit or uh, covenant, or it can mean the cross of my son, you put the Hebrew letters together, that's what the Hebrew picture language means for covenant. Listen, it's, the covenant is about the cross of my son. So every time you think about the covenant that God has made with you, it's all about the cross. Now look at what David does, or excuse me, what Jonathan does. And Jonathan stripped himself or took off the robe, and I, we would say this is the royal robe, one that made him the heir. He's the prince, the heir to the throne that was on him. And what did he do? He took off his robe and he gave it to David. And you're starting to see what the covenant is about. You know what Jonathan's doing? He's saying in essence, this belongs to you. Now if you were the son of the king, and you were in line for the throne, would you give up your royal right to another man? But David loved him, and he had an insight from the Lord that this was the anointed one. This was the rightful king. And so what does Jonathan do? He takes off the royal robe. He gives it to David. He takes with his armor, including his sword and his bow and his belt, And he gives David the clothing or the armament of royalty. He says, this is yours. I'm not going to hold on to it because I know who you are. You're the anointed one. And when Jesus was being mocked, he was uh, brought before Herod. And uh, there's some uh, indications that it was Herod's royal robe that was placed on Jesus as he was being mocked by the soldiers. And they didn't really know what they were doing, but when they put the robe of royalty on Jesus, in one way they were fulfilling this prophecy because the royal robe belongs on him, not on Herod, not on Pilate, not on anybody else, not even the Caesar of Rome, the rightful heir was being beaten and he took our place. And so David um, has this beautiful thing done to him by Jonathan. And I just don't want to rush past um, the beauty of Jonathan's character. At the end of 1 Samuel, Jonathan will die at the hands of the Philistines. Saul will do his best to kill David, but he can't kill the anointed one because he's going to sit on the throne. And Jonathan in the end, gives up his life for his friend. So David went out, look at verse 5, wherever Saul sent him, and prospered. And Saul set him over the men of war. And it was pleasing in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. So now Saul uh, commissions him, and, and whatever David did, he prospered. The Torah says in Deuteronomy 29.1. So keep the words of this covenant to do them that you may prosper in all that you do. In Joshua 1.8 and 9, it says, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. You shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have success. And God says to Joshua, have I not commanded you be strong and courageous, do not tremble or be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. In 1 Samuel 18, we see one of the important characteristics of a victorious Christian life. It's not only being filled with the Holy Spirit or having the Spirit of God come mightily upon you, which is 1 Samuel 16, 13, we see in the life of David. But it is also about being surrounding yourself with good, solid brothers or sisters. In Christ now it came about when he had finished speaking to Saul that the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David Jonathan loved him as himself you know these two men as we see in the book of First Samuel had the heart of a warrior they were both incredible warriors incredible men of God brave and courageous and yet the Bible says they loved one another they loved each other as brothers the Bible says in Proverbs 27:17 that as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. We need brothers and sisters in our Lord, uh, in the church, to sharpen us. What does that mean? It means some people just frankly make us better. Some people sharpen our lives. They they make us more effective just being around them. And. We, we need to make good choices when it comes to friendships. Of course, we want to be friends with unbelievers, and it is to reach them, but it's also because we want to show the love of Christ to all people. But our, our close friends, our most intimate brethren, if you will, those that we're knit together with, should be someone who can sharpen our lives, and the reverse is true, that we can sharpen their life. That's why, if you're listening to Christian Radio right now, and I suppose if you hear my voice, you are, that you need to be in discipleship relationships, and you know some—we're uh, told some something like forty percent of uh, listeners to Christian radio are not plugged into a church, and they may not even be a Christian. But I want to encourage you that if you're not plugged into a home fellowship, or uh, especially going to a, a fellowship on Sundays, really both, then you're missing something. You're missing a, a special knitting together in the body of Christ. Now, you can listen to radio messages, and those are good. You can watch ministries on television, and those can be beneficial. But you're still missing the fellowship component if you're not with other believers. So find a good Bible teaching church, not just a church that says they believe in the Bible, but one that actually teaches the Bible and lets the Bible dictate faith and practice in that fellowship.